Welcome to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today. I'm going to go ahead and give an apology up front. It seems like every three or four months over the last year, I've had some sort of congestion or some sort of uh, sickness or something like that. I promise I, I really am a pretty healthy guy, but for some reason, this uh, cold that I've had recently has messed with my throat and my voice, and so I'm on here to record, but just so you know, two days ago on Sunday, I wasn't able to preach. I woke up and I had to message our co-pastor and uh, and then one of our elder candidates, and one of our elder candidates last minute ended up preaching for us, and so I'm still in recovery mode, and that's why my voice sounds the way it does, but we're giving it a shot. We're giving it a go. And uh, you can, I'm just going to trust that you can deal with this. We're going to be talking about what I'm thankful for about the gospel-centered movement, but then what caused the decline and then the death of the gospel-centered movement. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help. And we are on episode 461 today. So thanks for being here and continuing to come back. Let's go to pray. Father, we just need your wisdom. We need your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you really are the center of the scriptures. Thank you that we can have a robust understanding of the differences between justification and sanctification. And on this Reformation Day, we are thankful that the gavel has come down and that those who are in Christ Jesus can know, know that they know that they know, that we are justified now, that our sins are forgiven, that they're cast as far as the east is from the west. Christ, you died for us, not just to... Um, make us a better version of ourselves or anything like that, or trying to self-justify ourselves, but to actually save us, to actually justify us. And uh, we thank you for your grace upon us. Holy Spirit, lead as I talk talk through this, and I trust you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to work through the gospel-centered movement. Gospel-centered movement was kind of a subcategory of New Calvinism, almost running synonymous. If you're not familiar with the terms, then I'm just going to bring you up to speed. So the New Calvinism, you think about the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, think about John Piper and his influence, think about the Gospel Coalition with Tim Keller and with Don Carson and Nine Marks and everything that has gone away with, gone through Crossway and just uh, the centrality of Christ. And what this whole movement was within the subcategory of New Calvinism was basically a, a glorying in the sovereignty of God, the sovereign grace of God, but then also pretty much a stumbling upon the Lutheran distinction of the law and the gospel. And there were battles about this, there were fights about this, but what is sanctification? What are the differences between justification and sanctification? And the whole idea was we we need to recover the idea of justification motivating sanctification. And so if we'll turn our attention to the finished work of Christ, this is all of life is is the finished work of Christ. Everything is about the gospel of Jesus. And so we got to come back. If we're thinking about sanctification, we're thinking about all of uh, the the idols that we deal with. And, And this is what if you look at uh, Tim Keller's work, it, it, most of his work is about uh, idolatry and identifying idolatry of what do we cherish more than Christ. And, and Piper talks so much about this as well. And so people were writing books and they had blogs and they had podcasts about gospel centrality, gospel centrality, gospel centrality. Jesus is the center. And so th- this is what the whole movement was about. It was just ginormous. I, I really lo- you know, loved all of this, ate all this up. Um, you know, when you think about uh, Tullian Davidson, Tullian Davidson got in some battles with Kevin DeYoung about sanctification and, and the place and the role of justification in sanctification and how all this 
worked itself out, the mechanics of sanctification. And Jared Wilson has so, you know, been so helpful to me over the years, Jared C. Wilson, in talking about gospel centrality. In fact, I wrote for his, uh, his uh, the For the Church website. I've still got probably 20 to 30 articles up there. I don't know. One time Jared Wilson said, we've got all the gospel Jareds and tag me in this on Twitter. And, you know, it was like this badge of honor. You know, I'm one of the gospel Jareds. And uh, it was just all about the centrality of the gospel. And the Together for the Gospel and the Gospel Coalition, this is what motivated all of this. So this is what New Calvinism just turned into, was the, the, the Lutheran distinction of law and gospel. And it felt so awesome. And there's a few things that I'm, I'm thankful for about this movement. And, and yet, a part of it felt a little bit new and, and trying to tag it into, you know, even Walter Marshall's The Gospel-Centered, or excuse me, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones and trying to connect the dots and say, you know, look, Spurgeon, he was a Christ-centered or he was a part of this gospel-centered movement. And it seemed to be this, this thing that just kind of showed up, but also had some sort of historical rootedness. And... And so I really wanted to explore this. And if you listen and read to anything, about, or if you, uh, excuse me, if you read Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall, written in the, I believe that was in the 1800s, I believe. So it's not really that old. But J.I. Packer read that and said it was the best book on sanctification that he had ever read. Actually, Walter Marshall may have been a Puritan. That may have been a work that, that, that's a little bit further back. But Gospel centrality was everything. I mean, this was this is huge. The whole thing was huge. You you didn't question the, the centeredness of the gospel. Even now, just thinking of like, are you questioning the center? You know, the the, the Bible and how gospel centered it is. And, and we'll get to that here in a minute. So I just first want to say what I'm thankful for by the gospel center movement, and then say the reasons I think it it's crumbled and then eventually it has died. And you know what what have we or should we have grown up into? And what have people grown up into? Is they've not grown away from the gospel or Christ being the center of the scriptures, but we've grown into a, ro- a more robust understanding of what that means, I believe. And so, a, a few things that I'm thankful for. Let me actually just read a quote that I put on Gab earlier today and put on Instagram. Here's what I said. The gospel-centered movement rightly saw the Christ-centered nature of the scriptures. So what I'm thankful for about, about the, uh, the gospel-centered movement first is the fact that, the, that Christ really is the center of the scriptures. This is Spurgeon talking about how all roads lead to Rome. We're in London. How in every you know little village throughout Great Britain, there's a road that eventually leads to London. Go you know preach Christ or go home and never preach him again. This is Spurgeon, you know, talking about this and you know <clears throat> discovering that Luke 24 and Jesus expounding the scriptures and John chapter five and the fact that Jesus is saying that the law and the Psalms and the, and the prophets that all they're all about Jesus and Jesus showing them that Moses is is speaking of me, and you refuse to come to me. It's, it's they that bear witness about me. And we look at the Bible, and we have to rightly see that, that Jesus really is the center of the Bible. And so I'm really thankful for that, the, the focus of the centrality of Christ in the Scriptures. And that is absolutely right. So I'm thankful for that. The second thing is the distinctions between justification and sanctification. It really is good when you're thinking about uh, the imperatives and the indicatives, right? Uh, commands or declarations. And you think about what Christ has done and what we do and what we're called to do and wanting to delineate rightly what is it that Christ has done and what is it that we are called to do. And when it comes to sanctification, making sure we have the distinctions between the two, justification and sanctification. J.C. Ryle does a great job with this in his book, Holiness, where we, we, we delineate here, okay, what is justification, what is sanctification, and not confusing the two. And so I'm thankful for my time in the gospel-centered movement for our, our understanding of the difference, differences between justification and sanctification and never running past justification. It's not like 
we ever get into this time in our Christian life where we understand that, uh, you know, justification was great, but now I don't need to be thinking about it or, or being thankful for it. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful, you know, that the gospel, as Tim Keller said, was the not just the A, B, and C of the Christian faith, but it's the A to the Z of the Christian faith. And there's elements of truth of that. And then, again, it, it begins to break down. So I'm thankful for the distinctions between justification and sanctification. So I'm thankful. And there, there are many good things that have come from that, of recovery of, of the centrality of justification and, and its outworkings into the Christian life. But I think it has died a slow death and actually kind of a quick death from 2020 till today. About a three-year death it took for the nails to kind of finally go into the coffin and for the movement to pretty much die off. And certainly there's still influence. Um, you know, VBS is still, we do VBS. But at one point, VBS was all the rage and there was a massive movement of VBS. Just like Sunday school, there was a massive movement of Sunday school and it, it was a big thing. But you know what? It's not really a movement anymore. It's just kind of something we do and, and it's still, you know, VBS is there for some churches, but it's not cool anymore. It's just not cool. Uh, what about, um, you know, you think about uh, the purpose-driven church. The purpose-driven church movement was a movement, man. I mean, it was powerful movement. Seeker-sensitive, attractional church ministry, it was a movement. But it's not a movement anymore. It's dead. It's still around. And I think the gospel centrality is the exact same thing. Gospel centrality is around. There's going to be conferences here and there. There's going to be sometimes even bigger or smaller conferences. And in 20 years, there's going to be people that still talk about about uh, you know the gospel centeredness, but it's it's dead. It's it's not. It's a it's moving the way of, of cringe. That's that's where it's moving. And uh, it died a death, I think, for several reasons. And here's what I said in the back half of this post. I said, but they blew it with their implicit rejection of the glory of God's law for the Christian, the household, and the church and the state. That's why the movement is done. The gospel centered movement thrived in peacetime, and it died a death. In its war, in wartime, it died its death in wartime. So what I'm talking about is the last three years. What was exposed about the gospel-centered movement? What was it that was exposed? Well, number one, it is exposed that the Gospel Coalition, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the Together for the Gospel Conference, that all of that has exposed that the gospel-centered movement was a, a very narrow movement in its understanding of the authority of Scripture. In a movement that would have claimed their belief in the authority of Scripture, when you get so gospel-centered, you end up beginning to pure, purity spiral. To anybody who would want to apply the Scriptures in, in a broader way than that, that core central application of the gospel of Jesus in the life of the believer. And, and really, what ends up happening is you so focus, and it just becomes a Lutheran understanding of law and gospel. And what, what Abraham Kuyper does in Lectures in Calvinism is he shows the lack of robustness of Lutheranism and its inability to affect all of culture. But what Kuiper does in Lectures on Calvinism is, is talk about the demand of Calvinism in all of life, the sovereignty of God in all of life. And you begin to see the authority of Scripture everywhere. And what ended up happening with, with, with the whole gospel Center movement is just a, a antinomianism. It just became an antinomian movement when it came to the law of God. There was an implicit rejection of the goodness of God's law where it set up the gospel good and the law bad. The law's only use, its explicit use, is to drive people to Jesus, both before and after you become a Christian. So after you become a Christian, the law's central use then still is this first use. And the third use for the, the good of God, the goodness of God, the instruction for the everyday believer's life, or the authority of God's word and his commandments in, in his law on the life of the family, or in the church, or in the world, or the state, 
we don't have to worry about that because the only use of God's law is in the individual's life and in, in individual holiness and in your appreciation and your love for God's glory and his goodness in saving you and breaking the idols in your life through seeing the glory of God's grace to you in that first use of the law. So you just stay in that first use of the law, stay in that first use of the law. You never get to that third use of the law. You really don't have a frame of reference for the second use, for it's restraint of, it's moral restraint in the public, in the public realm. And so you stay at that first use of the law. And what we see is how the gospel student movement was not built for. It was not built for wartime. And what ended up happening is for those over the last three years who have recognized there's something off here because the scriptures do equip us for everything in life. And the scriptures do equip, equip us to be able to love God's law and not just stay crippled at that first use of the law, but to be built up into that third use and then to understand its application in that second use of the law to restrain evil, to, to, to have moral restraint in a society. And for those who started to see, man, um, all of Christ for all of life, they started to listen to Doug Wilson, they started to listen to the, you know, the Reconstructionists, and you, and you start thinking, my goodness, this is incredible that God has instructed me in my home as an individual man, but God's law for me in, in my home is laid out there for us to love and obey. And we are called to love God's law, not just look at it and then immediately crumble and think, oh no, I can't thank Jesus, thank you that you did. It was, it's there for me as somebody who understands justification to say, yes, your commandments are not burdensome. God, your commandments are good for me and they're good for my family and they're good for my wife and they're good for my children and they're good for my church and they're good for this state and they're good for the people in my city and they're good for people all around. And for those of us over the last three years who have rediscovered a new Puritanism, who read Joe, Book's, Joe Boot's book, Mission of God, who did, did the work to study Kuiper and, and read, <clears throat> read beyond just five minutes ago, when you start to understand a political theology and you realize, my goodness, we have been so malnourished by being trapped over the last 10 years, 15 years, in this first use of the law as a Christian, that it, it's like uh, everything, I'm like depleted when it comes to application of God's word everywhere. It's like I'm depleted and I, I'm like nourished now by the commands of God. Not that the commands of God inherently can give me life, but in them I do find life. I do see life. I see joy. There, there's, it's sweeter than honey. And you start to read the Psalms and you start to see what David said about God's law. And in the gospel-centered world, it's like there's, there's a weird lack of ability to say, I love God's law. I delight in God's law functionally. There might be those writing in the gospel-centered world still today that would say that. Would say, but the implicit, like I said, the implicit is that the law, you can't actually love it and the law is still burdensome. It's bur Well, of course, if you're trying to justify yourself, but if you understand your justification, the law is not burdensome. It's life-giving. It's jo it, There's joy. And so you begin to see that God's law is good. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And there's, it, it's sweet. It tastes good. There's delight. And it's been invigorating to understand the glory of God's law for so many young men. And not just young men, older men as well. Who began to see that man, this classic liberalism that I've been trained in, that I've been this this um, you know, as John Harris has gone through these this classic liberalism and, and gone through a three part series and doing a really great job in the conversation conversation that matter podcast. I didn't know it's like now you know you look at some of the G three guys even and in that are kind of making some of the exact same errors of the gospel as the gospel center guys without even re realizing it, and <clears throat> you're starting to realize how we've been so catechized in 
how everything is supposed to work and supposed to function and how we're supposed to talk. And do you remember when you're in high school, like you, it was like fag this and fag that. And I'm not talking talking about running out and talking about fag, it was fag everything. Like, yeah, that was the term. Everything's gay and everything's, you know, everything's stupid and everything's retarded. The way we spoke was one way. And just like that, remember how quickly, just a matter of a few years, you stopped speaking like that because you realized how, oh my gosh, this is so offensive. And now... There is, there's great intentionality in so many people now defending, saying, no, it's actually good to call things gay because there, there is something good, inherently good, about not being trained by the world in how we speak. And there are shameful things in this world. And gay is a way to say that this is shameful and embarrassing. And the G3 guys are like, now, like, you can't, you know, don't call things gay. And it's like, well, man, that's like the gayest thing I've heard. And I don't want to be a part of that if, if I can't. <laughs> it's like, you know, these young guys are like, Man, if it's now, if I can't call, call things gay, it's like, uh, forget it. It's, it's funny how when you step out of what you've been indoctrinated in by the world and what, you know, the gospel center movement or the PC world, it's like you see things as they are now. It's like the, the lenses are off and you step into the reality of the scriptures in the world of the scriptures and there's there's freedom there to say, that's shameful, that's wrong. It's not freedom to, 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 uh, to be hateful to people. We love people. But there is a freedom to step away from, you know, and out of what, what has been taboo. And, uh, and so what ends up happening and what, what has become a, a death blow to the gospel center movement is that they have remained in the matrix. <laughs> like they, they've remained in that, uh, in that neutral world. They've, they've remained and in, in believe that they're somehow that we're still in peace. We're, we're in peacetime and they're doing ministry as if we're in peacetime and they're not still not getting past that first use of the law. And uh, it's dead. You see this with the Gospel Coalition. It's, it, it's become cringe. You know, the Gospel Coalition, and, and this is what's happening with G3 guys too. They're, they're becoming cringe where it's like, oh my gosh, this is just so embarrassing. You know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 now. So it's like, I'm not a young guy on the block anymore. And and I look at all these young guys and man, they're sharp. They're, they are, they love God's word and they want, and it's, again, it's not just young guys, these older guys as well, where, where the veil is coming off and you realize how fake everything is. And how ridiculous everything is. And you're like, all right, I'm step, I don't care what, I'm just free to just take God's word as it is. And everything that's, that's stupid out there in the world, I, I don't care about it. I'm not, I'm not trying to be well thought of by those in polite society in, in, you know, in Christianity today. You know, like I could get Christianity today is another one. This is just a total joke. I just don't care about that. And so what has happened with the Gospel Coalition, what's sadly happening with, with some of the G3 stuff is they've become cringe. They've just, they've become the pastor who wears a coat when it's not cold and he's preaching a sermon and he's trying to be cool and he's trying to look cool. Or it's, it's the church that still has this big set design for your sermon series where there's like a new series and it's, it's like blown out every few weeks. You know, there's like this new series and it's like, now this is the next big thing and the next big thing and the next big thing. You're like, my goodness, seriously? Like, oh, we still doing this? Like set designs? Really? This is what we're still doing. It's the, uh, the the preacher that's, you know, trying to say every cool and trendy thing, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it's cringe. It's like the Perry Noble. It's, it's like, uh, the, and they've lost. They've lost. So what's won? Well, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network has won. Doug Wilson's won. Um, those that aren't scared to be offensive, they've won. That, that's who's won. And... You know, even for like a Baptist, I'm a committed and firm Baptist. But it's like these these guys, these young guys, like Joel Joel Webin, he's won. Jeff Durbin, they're they're winning. And not that this is a competition. Hear, hear what I'm saying here. This isn't a competition. Like, well, they're 
But who is who's winning the day? Who is who's leading and who's following who? And what you're seeing is people aren't following Acts 29 anymore. Like these young guys are not signing up for Acts 29 conferences. People aren't going to nine marks events anymore. Yeah, or nine marks. They're still going to have events. Yeah, like like VBS. There's still VBS workshops. There's still going to be nine marks workshops. There's you know, <laughs> uh, there's still going to be Acts 29 churches. There's still going to be some young guys, but not many. And it's like uh, Jeff Wright in this new Gospel Alliance, this Credo Alliance group. Uh, it's Tom Askell. They're winning the day. Tom Askell's winning the day. And they're the ones who who are rediscovering the glory of Puritanism. Uh, nothing short of Puritanism is going to help the church. Everything else is going to die. It's going to be cringy. If you're not seeing the authority of God's Word in all of life everywhere, and if you're not like Kuiper recognizing that there's not one square inch of this universe that Jesus doesn't cry out, mine, okay, then everything else is going to end up being a cringy VBS workshop. And again, we love VBS. We have a blast with it. I lose my voice every VBS, but you get what I'm saying. Every, everything else is going to become like the, the, like the Gospel Coalition and uh, the Christianity Today and all these networks and all this kind of stuff and for the church and all this stuff. It's the pastor on stage who's 65 years old wearing skinny jeans and a jacket trying to be cool. That That's... That's what it is. And uh, all those happy Presbyterians and happy Baptists are going to be loving the Lord and everybody's still going to be turning to them and looking at them and saying, oh, you crazy Christian nationalist, Christianity today is turning them. All the gospel Center movement is turning on all these people that are discovering Puritanism. They're discovering the authority of God's word everywhere. And they're discovering this biblical and historic reading Stephen Wolf's book and reading Mere Christendom and they're discovering historic uh, political theology. And they're all throwing us under, under the bus. And uh, instead of that, uh, please, join the team. Be a, step out of what's PC. Look at God's Word and don't be ashamed of what God has to say. There is so much joy in understanding the glory of God's law in your own life. And it's not burdensome. It's good. And the glory of God's law in your family. It's not burdensome. It's good. It, it's the rule of law in this home. The glory of God's law in the church. And, and how we function, how we operate, and the glory of God's law in the world. And... Uh, have a lot of fun in the process. The, the conferences are more fun. The life is more fun. We laugh a whole lot more. There's a lot of joy. Our families are healthy. Our churches are healthy. There's just so much fun. Or you can stay trapped at the first use of law and keep talking about idols all the time instead of just really loving and enjoying your family. All right, guys. Hope you guys have a really great rest of your day. Please leave a rating and review. Share this. Pass it along. And I hope this has been helpful. Please continue to come back. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.